0: Welcome to the ninth edition of Transformation Talks. My name is David Lansfield and I am a partner in Strategy&. In this series of podcasts, I talk to leaders who transform their organisation, whether by defining a fresh purpose, developing a new strategy, inspiring innovation or strengthening their culture. Who better to talk to then than Paul Polman, who was the Chief Executive of Unilever for ten years until very recently. Paul is unquestionably one of the most impactful and far-sighted leaders of our generation. A journalist called him the epitome of a 21st century CEO. He shaped what we now call responsible capitalism, pioneering new approaches to the sourcing of raw materials and packaging of goods, developing new relationships with suppliers, producing healthier products and improving conditions for workers. Unilever is now one of the most admired organisations in the world in terms of its brands, financial performance and approach to sustainability. Paul led the expansion into emerging markets and the personal care market, completing more than 50 acquisitions. He was the first Chief Executive to get on board the Valuable 500 initiative, a global project that aims to put disability on the business leadership agenda, a cause very close to my heart. He's also emphasised the importance of talking to a younger generation about creating a more ethical and responsive business culture. Paul, you're most welcome. Thanks very hey, much for coming, through, thanks coming for to the join opportunity. us. for Starting with purpose. Purpose is a word I, I would associate strongly with you. Purpose for yourself, for Unilever, for industry, the environment and society. If I'm right in saying that, where does your sense of purpose come from?
1: Well, I think these... Uh, a sense of purpose will be a, a continuous uh, development uh, based on uh, many of the things that happen to you in your uh, life of work or your crucibles, if you want to. In my case, I was born uh, just after the Second World War, uh, believe it or not, with uh, parents who were deprived from their education because of the war. And all they were focused on was uh, trying to ensure that there was peace moving forward, that their children got the education that they were deprived of. and that we had a better life than what they had to deal with. So very much focused on the common good and mm. putting the interest of others ahead of their own. They met in Boy Scouts, so great uh, lovers of nature and preserving the planet as well. And then during your lifetime, uh, things happen to you or by choice or by accident that uh, form you and and form your opinions about things and, and your purpose gets sharpened over the years. Uh, ultimately, uh, you get to a point that uh, you discover that it's uh, you have to put the interest of others ahead of your own, um, and and if you're in a position to to do that and help others, then that's a very sweet spot to be in.
0: Mm, absolutely. And when, when you've been challenged on that in terms of you know your your position in a, in any role you've been in in terms of putting the interests of others, perhaps other organisations or the environment society ahead of unilever or so how have you what's kept you cl- so sort of true to your purpose when you've been challenged
1: well i think the uh, keeping the bigger uh, picture in mind that we are here to help the uh, underserved and uh, to ensure that this world uh, functions for everybody i think is a bigger picture and the reason i stayed in unilever for 10 years is that uh, that uh, was definitely the company's credo but also uh, being able to use the size and scale of Unilever to have impact well beyond the company itself right. was obviously, uh, uh, for me, motivating uh, up to a point, obviously, now I need to move on and do other things. But it has been a tremendous uh, help, a company that reaches 2.5 billion people a day mm. with their products, and is basically in eight out of 10 households globally. Mm. The opportunity to touch more people than any government in the world is obviously an enormous force, if used for good. I think the broader purpose uh, that we've put out there of uh, decoupling our growth from environmental impact and uh, increasing our overall social impact is broadly embraced, uh, especially by the millennial generation which tends to be more purpose driven than than others. So uh, actually the convincing is not the most difficult part, the difficult part is obviously when you have your... Uh, challenging choices and a timeline and a sense of impatience that might not fully match up. Indeed. And uh, so how do you square these things? And it's like anything else. Uh, You have to carefully plan things, have a a 10-year horizon, 15-year horizon, and be careful that you do things in the right sequence and and in the right intensity when it's the right time.
0: Absolutely. The millennials may get it, as you say, but maybe not some of your stakeholders at the time, going back to 2009. For For sure. How did you? How did you go about convincing? So the them? first thing is, if
1: you if you uh, put your company to the service of society, which I think is probably the only way you can run companies if you want to be around longer term, hmm. and then you have to de- define for yourself where you can make your biggest contributions. But um, we should think about all companies as having a uh, striving to have a positive overall impact. If that impact uh, cannot be defined or is not positive. You have to ask yourself the question of what is your reason for being. The uh, average lifetime of a publicly traded company in the US has dropped during my lifetime from 67 years to 17 years and I think one of the main reasons for that has been the monoptic focus on the shareholders and the increasing short-termism that has crept in. Some companies have tried to compensate for their own successes by moving into CSR or philanthropy and other things. But ultimately, it still falls in the less bad category. And clearly, we're beyond the point that the world can afford that. So companies need to think hard of having a positive impact. If they do uh, think about these models, then the development agenda is a tremendous agenda of opportunity. Probably a bigger market out there waiting for them and and he has realized, and then actually a very profitable market. So getting companies into this shift in mindset from moving to corporate social responsibility, CSR, to what I call RSC, Responsible Social Corporations, is perhaps a big step, but very rewarding if you do that. So there's no reason why companies can't be more human either, and we somehow forgot that. Mm-hmm. So bringing not companies back to humanity, what we're all about, making positive contributions, trying to do that every day a little bit more, uh, guarantees not only your long-term uh, reason for being, but also your financial success. And fortunately, or unfortunately, if you would argue both ways, but fortunately we can prove increasingly so that companies that uh, run a more responsible uh, you know, um, business uh, more environmental, socially responsible investors who follow the ESG principles mm. also now get the higher returns. Yes. And the reason I say unfortunately at the same time is because I think we've waited too long to address some of these burning issues, and we're at a point right now where the cost of not acting on issues like poverty or food waste or climate change is actually higher than the cost of acting, hence, the attractiveness of the financial proposition.
0: Indeed anchoring and that for the anchoring in the financial proposition is critical right to get to get people who may be skeptical or just not moving but in in the journey you just sort of talked through what was what was the hardest moment um not necessarily in terms of your purpose which clearly comes through but your mindset but um if you're you were going against prevailing wisdom or practice so what was the hardest
1: part when i became CEO and and 2008 early 2009 which was the height of the financial crisis and then coming in from a company uh, into a company that you haven't worked on is obviously a challenge what we saw was that as a result of the financial crisis most of the companies were hunkering down cost savings programs etc mm. i was fortunate enough that the uh, unilever was not in such a solid state hadn't grown so we p- we put another strategy out there one of uh, of uh, growing the company and uh, having a broader impact, environmental, social, and economical. And uh, so our strategy was probably already more differentiated from the rest. Since I wanted it to be anchored firmly in the sustainable development goals and, and the development program if you want to, uh, we could not do that with the minoptic focus on quarterly reporting, so one yes. of the first things I had to do was not only send a signal, but create space for people, and we abolished quarterly reporting, we abolished guidance, Yeah. and we sent a clear signal that we were there for the longer term. That obviously attracted a lot of skeptics or cynics. Stock price actually went down 8% because people thought bad news would be coming if you do these things, but bit by bit we gained that credibility. Then within the programs that we've put out, which is really uh, decoupling our growth from environmental impact, increasing the overall social impact. Uh, The most difficult thing is obviously uh, internally uh, getting everybody on board and aligned behind a program like that, but also providing the capabilities to deal with some of these tensions, these trade-offs, the things that you can't handle right away but might do later, capabilities that need to be built, but more importantly, externally. It's probably a bigger challenge because many of these objectives we set were so audacious that uh, from the beginning we already made clear that we could never do those alone and that it involved these partnerships and these partnerships require trust, require transparency. and That's difficult even for companies like ours. One of the reasons we put 50 targets out there is create that trust and transparency. Mm -hmm. But it's not that easy. And to really get to the bigger changes of impact for humanity, even a company like Unilever alone could not do that. So the bigger challenge has been how to drive these more transformative changes beyond the company, get industries aligned, redefine what is competitive and pre competitive. How do you move a whole industry out of deforestation? How do you move a whole industry in a circular to a circular economy? How to get out of plastic issues that we see now. Uh, no individual company can do that alone. So to form these alliances increasingly with government, civil society and private sector is obviously hard work, but it's an absolute must if we want to solve the issues that we're currently facing.
0: Absolutely. I see a, lot, a number of organizations talk about being more open, more networked, whether it's through partnerships, alliances, but actually their practice is sometimes, whether consciously or unconsciously, more proprietary. I, they set the terms of the agenda. How, how, did, how did you shift um, that, that practice to become more partnership-led to tackle the big problems? What, what shifted you? Well, did the you issues of poverty,
1: it? or the issues of food security, or the issues of climate change, uh, which is one of the biggest intergenerational crimes we're about to commit. Uh, uh, are not proprietary to any company or another. Mm. Um, So in this, we are together. And uh, if we don't solve these issues together, none of us will benefit. Mm. And it's obviously, we're seeing the symptoms of that on a daily basis. So how can we uh, broaden that circle and create these tipping points is very much on on my mind. Mm. So um, how you go about that is obviously not easy. We um, created, uh, in our industry, which is the consumer goods industry, we created a, a, an industry body, the Global Consumer Goods Forum, have to build with all of the major retailers and manufacturers in the world, about 3 to $4 trillion of retail sales, and tried to drive a, a common agenda. At that time, I was chairing the uh, sustainability pillar, so how to get commitments against deforestation. Uh, 50-60% of deforestation is driven by the enormous appetite for food and soy, beef, pulp, uh, you know, palm oil and all yes. the other things. So how can you get the whole industry out of what I would call illegal deforestation? Absolutely crucial for climate change. How can you get the whole industry to sign up to uh, human rights standards like the ruggy framework? Uh, these are things that are hard work and, and uh, since you deal with companies from all parts of the world, sometimes the perspectives are different, the timelines might be different. So um, uh, it is doable but, uh, and we're moving in the right direction, I would say, on many of these issues I've just briefly talked about. But at the end of the day, it's uh, the skill and impact that counts and that's why we're still falling hmm. grossly short.
0: Sobering. Um, you talked earlier, Paul, about uh, intensity. Uh, intensity of working at certain times of any change, whatever you call it, change, transformation, in your leadership working out when to get really stuck in, when to take the foot off the gas, when to empower versus lead. Um, How do you work that out? How do you work out when to be, you know, when to really drive up intensity either in the organization or your leadership team versus actually then having some space to, not necessarily step back, but maybe recharge or or change gear? How How do you work it out?
1: Well, in the eye of uh, the beholder, you would never uh, probably find that right balance because as soon as you dive deep into something, some people think you're micromanaging. If you're too far above it and do the strategic things, Mm. people think you're too far removed from the business. So it's difficult to find that balance, but I think a good leader needs to be this uh, T-shaped leader, being able to go up and down into the organization and also broad. Broad, I mean really being able to work in these uh, partnerships that go well beyond your company. So a T-shape is probably the right way of doing things. When you go in deep, is uh, probably for your own understanding more than to uh, influence the company. Uh, I could not have uh, been part of developing the broader strategies if I wouldn't know how things uh, would land in the markets or how it uh, how it ultimately yeah. happens in a consumer's home or on the farmer's land or so you need to be able to have an enormous appetite for the detail especially in consumer goods yes, to drive right. that sense of urgency to make that purpose come alive with storytelling and many other things. But then I think you need to have that broader picture. I always believe that... Um, uh, when uh, I became CEO, even more so, that uh, my job really has always been to make others successful. As a CEO, I quickly discovered that I don't actually know much. Uh, my finance manager will know more about finance, someone who runs Turkey will know more about Turkey, uh, someone who runs the Dove brand will know more about the Dove brand, etc. So, all you can do is be sure that they are successful, and all you can do is help. Uh, Whilst these people are often in the forests and dealing with the uh, continuous battles that we find in the marketplace, whatever they are, Mm. from geopolitical to environmental to competitive. We've had uh, 10 years of top and bottom line growth, which is very few companies can achieve that. Uh, You know, our shareholder return is 300 percent. And the only way you can do that is by continuously being a few steps ahead on in terms of these systems changes
0: when it comes to the systemic changes how do you uh, and and getting and immersing yourself in um, you know in the forests in the problems and the in the areas um, how do you create space for yourself to do that because other leads I talked to was, would say oh, you know, I need to be curious I need to learn but then either the you know the immediate operational challenges sometimes get in the way or Uh, You know, the analysts, they may not have done the same thing as you in terms of, uh, you know, the reporting cycle. They get immersed in that and actually they become an operational leader and sometimes that's necessary. But they don't become the transformational leader. How do you create the headspace? The best
1: advice you can get from other people is that you manage your own agenda. Obviously, everybody loves you. They want you to be on every panel. Uh, All the things you do is better than sliced bread but you just have to uh, not only stay human and find that balance in your life you're seeking for, but also to manage your own agenda. I'm a big proponent of uh, managing energy, not time. I think it's very important that people get oxygen, so oxygen can come from different things. Uh, Obviously, uh, we encourage people to read the books, uh, to participate in outside activities, to form alliances. Uh, I could never be a total slave to any corporate, for that matter, so I was very fortunate that uh, At that time, uh, Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon asked me to be the business representative on a a high-level panel that was established to develop the Sustainable Development Goals, and that gave me a lot of oxygen, learned about a lot of the realities in the world, and um, connected to a lot of the issues that we need to address, somehow the shortcomings of our global scorecard, you could mention that. And the more I learned about that, the more I also thought, well, you know, isn't it the responsibility of the private sector to be a solution provider? Uh, Governments are clearly paralyzed in today's environment. That's a reality that we can be cynical or bitter about, but it's better to be realistic about that. And uh, increasingly, you need the private sector to help unlock that political process. Yes the funds that are needed to to implement a sustainable development agenda now to alleviate poverty are way beyond the means of any government. So you need the private sector to step up, and it's in the interest of the private sector. When they do that, they not only get validity or reputation, attract the right people, they might even discover that they can lower costs and risks, but above all, it's an enormous area of opportunity. When you have two and a half billion people not having access to sanitation and And hygiene, that's an enormous opportunity. Mm -hmm. So a brand like Domestos, which is a uh, a great toilet cleaning brand, has as an objective to build 25 million toilets. But by simply doing that, it's motivating. They get closer to the real issues. Their uh, R&D and and innovations become more relevant. And surprise, surprise, these brands tend to grow faster, and that's what we've seen with Unilever. Brands with a strong sense of purpose tend to do better, not only in top-line growth, but also in profitability because they're relevant. And I think we're moving quite rapidly into an environment where, especially the millennials are more purpose-driven, where more and more people understand what needs to be done and will embrace uh, these brands that provide these solutions. So uh, it's hard work because the expectations change uh, continuously. But I think uh, what your role is as a leader is to not only do well when your company is there, but be sure your company does well 10 years after you leave. and. And that's what we've worked on in our portfolios, in bringing purpose to the company, in changing the quality of the people and making it an employer brand in most of the countries that we operate in. Then if you have uh, smart people in your company, they will figure out any of the challenges, which are enormous nowadays. You know, you can have an Arab Spring, you can have a climate change or natural disaster now every minute in every part of the world. Uh, your, your supply chains disrupted, what people now have to deal with in running these businesses. you could it, you, It's impossible to capture that in rules, laws, or regulations, so you have to create principle-driven organizations, uh, purpose-driven organizations, yes. which are your true north or your beacons to go by. Yes. And that gives you the confidence that provides the glue and the trust for these companies to operate in, in what is increasingly complex environments.
0: And, and the and the, the scale as you say the scale of in your case Unilever the complexity of the issues and the as you say the diversity of different situations geopolitically industry dynamics consumer dynamics um, means that you have to tailor you have to tailor you have to change but you, you have to trust you talked about trust trust your people
1: absolutely it can only be done in, on the ground so what you do as a leader is you strengthen the values in which this company operates uh, yeah. you you ensure that its purpose is shared. And, um, and then you provide the framework for people to be successful, but you have to trust them in the decisions they take. And that trust can only come from transparency and from values. That's the only glue that you have to keep these companies together. If you translate that into big Bibles, rules, and regulations, mm. um, you stifle innovation. And on,
0: on, that, on that trust perspective without the micromanagement and the big rule book, how do you, how do you get the trust with accountability? because you speak to some or you hear, you speak to some leaders and you hear from them and they set out a big purpose, often not granular enough, they then underneath it actually put lots of rules and sure. rules in place. Sure. Sometimes that's down to their lack of confidence in themselves. Yeah. Sometimes it's the, they're not quite clear on how to translate the purpose into the day to day. But how, do, how did you or how do you think about accountability then? So you set the parameters, you empower the people but there has to be accountability. Right? Uh, for, for sure, for, 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 but um,
1: I think about it at different levels, but there indeed there are too many who uh, talk to talk but not uh, walk to walk. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I think increasingly that is being flushed out because to some extent uh, with uh, the internet and, and social media, et cetera, transparency, you know, whilst there are downsides, to this transparency has mm-hmm. also increased. And I think the answer first and foremost is in transparency. If you can create transparency, you actually drive behavior uh... more so than, than not so for example uh, companies that uh... disclose their carbon footprint if you keep it at that level tend to actually work harder on reducing their carbon impact than companies that don't disclose yes. uh, behind the unilever sustainable living plan we put fifty targets and these targets we published that created that trust that the transparency creates that trust that ultimately is the basis for prosperity so you do the same in the company so because reinforcing really, uh, and
0: self-regulating in a way yeah. rather than having to say you must do this at this time. Well, this I don't way. believe
1: in that because, yeah. uh, you know, slave labor was abolished a long time ago. So, for example, uh, if you want to get it ingrained in, in the values of a company, you have uh, to drive behavioral change, and you don't do that with uh, just setting simple targets. Uh, mm-hmm. Many companies set targets on diversity, for example, and quotas. Interestingly, uh, Unilever in my 10 years has moved from 37% women to 50%. Our board is now 50%. In fact, in our office environment, we probably have 65%. But it has never been done with quotas, it has just been done by saying, you know, by all buying into the fact that uh, should we treat everybody uh, with dignity and respect don't be, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't well pa- require and follow through though, right equity and follow through. And if people no. don't do that, with transparency, yes. we can see in ten year, over a 10 year time period, who are the managers that have promoted a more diverse workforce or not. Now you put things in place, you have to put a, for example, in this example, you have to put a um, meritocracy in place that people buy into, a, a performance assessment system that people buy into. Yes. Uh, and, and some other preconditions around that. Enablers that are for everybody. Mm. That's we call it. For example, in this example, uh, gender balance. We don't have it for one or another. Mm. You make it a total inclusive program. Uh, that's uh, and and um, the the more you you do that in a transparent way, uh, we would uh, make clear where one organization is in in one country as far as another country. You actually drive that behavior automatically. People don't want to be on the bottom of a list. If the systems are fair and you provide transparency, it actually drives uh, behavior. Yeah. Um, and, and as you rightfully said in your introduction, that total inclusion, which really should drive humanity if we want it to function long term, also has to be in organizations. So it's gender balance is there, but um, I'm glad you, you also as an organization and personally are a big supporter. Of the valuable 500 that we have uh, yes. created with uh, Caroline Casey's leadership, because there are 1.3 billion people with uh, with disabilities. I call it disabilities, uh, different abilities. Some people call them handicap, but but uh, people with disabilities in this world that that would be 15% of the workforce, uh, the world's population. But you will find barely 1% in a company, yep. and it can happen to all of us tomorrow. So one of the reasons I champion, amongst other things. Uh, disability is just to be sure that we create these inclusive societies which is also the driver for me of working on the development agenda
0: yeah so my son is severely disabled and you hear all the labels all the time um, about disabled he can't do this can't do this but actually the language in your case disability or other language can completely change a mindset of I hope in turn him um, his parents and everything around him to what can he do Absolutely. which if you then aggregate that across an economy, society, communities and whatever lens, you actually potentially the potential for people to give more, take that one step forward.
1: Absolutely. It's not the people that we call disabled that are disabled. It's the people that call them disabled that are disabled. The ones that don't hear their cries to be included are the ones that are deaf. The ones that don't see their possibilities are the ones that are blind. It's The disability is on our side. That's why it's disability. I'm a very bad singer, and I've never been called disabled. I I have not been able to put one basketball through a hoop. I've never been called disabled. So, you know, uh, we we can only make the world function if we have um, dignity and respect for every individual in this world, if we strive for equity, not equality, but equity, and if we operate with a high degree of compassion, which means putting ourselves in the shoes of the people that uh, have not been as fortunate as we have. And if we don't do that and and drive these values of humanity, we slowly erode over time our reason for being. It's very very dangerous. That's also why we have to speak out very firmly when people challenge that, as we've seen with some politicians lately. If we don't do that and we stay silent, we become complicit to the same crime. And bit by bit, your society erodes. So if you can drive these same values into your company and these stronger values, uh, there's absolutely uh, no downside to that, and by the way, your employees expect that. The employees expect that, and citizens of this world expect it as well. That companies speak up as well.
0: So if you were, if you were um, coaching uh, a, a new CEO in a in a large organization, um, coaching them on how to, how to use their opportunity wisely, carefully, thoughtfully. From everything you said, what would be the one thing you would call out that they should? They should focus on
1: the first uh, comment i would say is for leadership is to be first and foremost a human being the problem if you become ceo's of these big companies you know you don't take your oyster card anymore and someone else carries your briefcase you get uh, separated from the long lines at the airports and you start to live in a world that is uh, foo-foo dust but you think you're wonderful so if you can um, fortunately i come from a part of the country in the netherlands where we stand with bo- where we keep both feet on the ground so start, first advice would be uh, you know be a human being uh, And then the second thing is uh, you know, what is your purpose? I talked to so many CEOs and companies and my first question is always what's the purpose of your company? And if you cannot verbalize the purpose of your company, what's the purpose of having these companies there in the first place? Um, and then uh, once you define your purpose you have to live it you know to run an insurance company that would not sell any of its policies to their own mother or to their own wives is not very useful, or to run a bank that uh, you know uh, uh, drives people into uh, poverty by by mis-selling or misrepresenting some of their financial uh, packages. You know, it's not very useful. I believe that one of the major reasons we have so much mental stress in society is that people have uh, values when they leave their homes and kiss their wives or their husbands and children goodbye, but then they come to work and then they're all of a sudden different values and that creates an enormous tension. Yeah, like Why can't we live with one set of values so you can be ourselves, so we don't have to wear a mask. So my first one is to be human beings and secondly is to figure out what your purpose is and drive that into the company. So you have to have leaders that are purpose driven and then, uh, you know, passion is obviously important, you know. There are only three questions in life. Uh, you know, what, do you ex- what are you excited about? What are you good at? And what does the world need? And if you can match those, you, you have a very successful life. So, so go to your passion. And then, and then the last thing uh, um, is uh, probably a positive attitude. You know, the vote of change, and especially if you make the dust versus eating the dust and carve the new roads. Uh, It's not always easy and it's very unsettling or uncertain. Nobody has walked it before. So, um, you know, climbing a mountain is never smooth. Mm. You need some plateaus or some bumps to hold yourself onto. So, uh, the best way to endure all of that is to keep a positive attitude. So, purpose, passion, positive attitude. Brilliant. And stay human.
0: Yeah, that's a really... Fundamental. Um, Paul, it's been wonderful, inspiring to speak with you, learn from you. It's a pleasure. Um, I love the way you, how you frame the opportunity we have. Actually, responsibility, uh, necessity, uh, and your clear, cogent advice for leaders, whether millennials, all the way through to CEOs of, of other corporates who have that opportunity to do something now um, to avoid the, you know, all, the, all the things that could, oh, could yeah. happen. It's yeah, an incredible we all opportunity.
1: We all have that opportunity. Well, frankly, I could have been born in many places of the world, and I would be dead by now already. Um, so if you're in a fortunate position, like many of these listeners are, you only belong to about 2% of the world population. If you belong to that 2% of the world population, then it's your duty to put yourself to the other 98%. It was the Dalai Lama that said, uh, if you seek enlightenment just for yourself to enhance your own, uh, you miss purpose, but if you seek enlightenment to uh, to serve others, you are with purpose. So I hope that uh, at the essence what we are facing in this world is uh, a crisis of morality, where people um, put their own interest ahead of others, so as I said before, greed might be good, but generosity is better, so live a life of purpose, and you will not regret that.
0: Absolutely. Paul? Absolutely brilliant. Um, Incredibly moving uh, and a clear agenda. Um, Agenda and just things we need to do. It's a reframing of how we live our life, let alone corporate life. It's about uh, how we as individuals
1: act. Absolutely. It's a Um, uh, moral crisis that we're facing actually more than an environmental or any other crisis or financial crisis or an economic crisis. But but it's up to us as individuals to to address it. And the ones that do will be well off. The ones that don't will be dinosaurs.
0: Paul, thank you. Paul Polman. And, and that was another edition of Transformation Talks with me, David Lancefield. Thank you.